0: Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks to Pastor James for uh, reading God's word today. Um, If you're joining us here for the first time, what we're doing is uh, we're looking and we've been going through First Corinthians and, you know, I'm I'm a little bit uh, conflicted, you know, because I think around this time, because of what's going on out there in the world, uh, a lot of churches and a lot of even pastors are choosing to preach directly on issues of injustice and race. And I think that's great. and I do want to say a few things about it, but I don't I don't necessarily want to dedicate the, <clears throat> the whole thing for a couple of reasons. I think some of these things that we talk about are better done in more of an open forum where there can be some Q&A and questions like that. Um, the other issue is, I think, especially as Christians, sometimes um, even on a Sunday, uh, we need a little break from a lot of the things that's going on in social media and uh, we need to kind of recollect our thoughts so that we can go back there into the world and hopefully have a better grip on things as a Christian. And so I, I think uh, we're going to try and stick with the passage today. And uh, maybe you can tie it in with what's going on with you and, and what's going on in the world outside today. But nevertheless, try and be faithful to, 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 the, to the book and go into the next section. And here in our passage, now we're in chapter 4. You know, we've been preaching through all of 1 Corinthians so far in the first three chapters. Now we've gotten to chapter 4. And, and this passage here is, is really it's really about judging. Uh, I know it's a, I just said I wouldn't talk about race and stuff like that, but it's pretty, you know, you can easily connect it. But this passage really is about judging. In, in this passage that was just read to you, there's actually four times, at least four times, Paul mentions the word judge, judging or judgment. And we've talked about this before, about what that means for Paul, uh, that it doesn't automatically mean that judging is bad, uh, that there is a good and necessary sense of judging uh, in the sense of discerning and trying to figure out what's, what's good and what's not good and what's bad and what's really bad and, and so, so on and so forth. But Paul revisits here in this church. And the reason he talks about judging here in our passage is because he's being judged. He's being judged, and not in such a good way, but he's being judged by his own church uh, or the church that he built or planted uh, this church in the city of Corinth. And uh, not only Paul, but other leaders like Apollos and Cephas, those guys were mentioned previously. They were, I guess, uh, on the receiving end of misjudgments by the people here in this church. And it's interesting, just on a side note, that this is why 1 Corinthians is so relevant for us today. Isn't it kind of, I guess, in a sort of weird way, encouraging to know that some of the issues that even we deal with in our church, with judging and so forth, uh, are, are, are some of the things that was there in Paul's church and in the church in the past. And so... We're in the same boat here, and that's why I think that, again this this letter is very relevant for the church today and so let's look at this passage more carefully first uh, Corinthians chapter four, verses one through five and I want us to notice three things here three things okay first of all, in verses one and two, Paul teaches the church how it ought to view its pastors, okay how it ought to view its pastors, and then in verses three and four. Uh, He teaches uh, pastors, and he teaches all of us as Christians how we ought to view ourselves. And then finally, the third point here is at the end of verse 5, he wants us to understand how important it is how God views us, the view from above, okay? And so there you go. There's three points there. Uh, The view of pastors, view ourselves, and a view from God, the view from above. Okay, and so let's look at this. And in um, the first point, I don't want to talk too much about it, but I just can't just overlook this. And in sense, I'm I'm kind of talking about myself and and maybe James and other pastors out there that you might know. But in the first two verses, Paul tells the church how they ought to view its pastors. And in fact, we know this because they were judging him in Second Corinthians chapter ten. They were judging him based on how he looked. Right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, um, we have a sample of what he was experiencing. And, and they said, for example, he says, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. In other words, they were making assessments about the, the validity of what he was going to say or do in their church, not by what he wrote and how he talked, but, but what he looked like and, and how, he, how he dressed, that he didn't look very impressive. He's not impressive. And so they thought in their mind that this guy's a lightweight. Who would want to listen to a guy like this? So they dismissed him. And, and, and it was since a judgment against Paul. And Paul then is therefore trying to correct this in, in this church. And he's giving them uh, instructions on how they ought to view the, how they ought to view their pastors or their ministers. So in verse 1, he says, This is how one ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This is what he says. He says, we should look at our pastors as two things, servants of God and stewards, servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. What does that exactly mean? Well, it means this. First, we regard them as servants. The word servant here is, is a different word. It's a unique word that does uh, isn't usually used in the New Testament. But it literally means uh, one of those guys in the galley of the bottom of a boat, chained to an oar and... Rowing, an under a rower, a slave on the lowest deck of those ancient ships, chained to their, chained to their oars, and they pull the oars according to the beat of the overseer's drum. Okay, that's the word of the servant here. And it conveys a sense of menial, lowly, sort of humble service. And Paul says that's what a minister is he's a galley slave. Okay, he's pulling his oar to the beat of his master's drum. Now, the second thing he says is that pastors are also to be stewards. Now, this is another word picture, but uh, during Paul's time, he's talking, the word steward is mentioned of someone who is like a domestic slave, a house servant or slave who's been entrusted with the management of the resources of the ancient Greco-Roman household. They were to dispense their resources wisely and carefully, okay? So ministers and pastors, Paul says, are stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, what does he mean by mysteries of God? He's not talking about something that's secret that, that no one really knows, but he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, something that was obscure in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed to the apostles and written down for us in the Bible. So when Paul calls ministers servants and stewards, he's giving them a job description. He's saying it's the pastor's fundamental job like a steward in the ancient household, like a servant in the bottom of a ship, to dispense the mysteries of God. That is, to preach the gospel, to feed the members of a household, to supply them with the resources of the word of God for their nourishment and their provision. That's how he says the church should view its pastors. There are a thousand other tasks that a pastor might have to think about, but if he isn't doing this, then he's not fulfilling his calling to be a servant and steward of God as he ought, right? Now, if you understand this, one, one pastor said this way, he says, quote, gospel ministers are servants of the church, but the church is not their master. Okay. Gospel ministers are servants of the church, but the church is not their master. And what that means is this, what Paul is saying here is this, we work, as pastors and ministers for Jesus, pulling the oar at his command, so to speak, serving the church with his word according to his design. We serve the church, but it's Jesus Christ and not the church who is our master. And that's why when you're looking for a pastor or a servant, that's why he says in verse two, it is required of stewards that they be what? Faithful, faithful. Stewards and servants therefore ought to be faithful trustworthy, diligent in their task. And here's what you ought to ask about your pastor. Now, you know, let me just be honest. I know that many of you think I'm the coolest pastor in the world. All right? If not the coolest guy in the world. You know, and I and I kind of get it, but you know what? That's not the most important thing here, okay? The question you should be asking of me and any pastor is this: Is he faithful? Is he trustworthy? It has nothing to do with the dynamic of the way he talks or the the expressiveness of his personality or the polishness of his oratory. The question that Paul says is most important is this, is the pastor and minister faithful? That's the key question. And in this church, they wanted rock stars. They wanted celebrity pastors and ministers. They didn't want galley slaves and household stewards, right? And that's what Paul is trying to teach him, that the pastor of the church, how we are to view them, these leaders, Uh, the how what pastors are needed in the church are faithful stewards dispensing the Word of God the gospel of grace diligently for the daily nourishment of God's people okay now I gotten that point out of the way that's how we're to view uh, our, our pastors and leaders okay but the second point here is this not only does Paul give us a way to view our pastors but broadly speaking as he expands his explanation He gives us a way to view not just pastors, but ourselves, right? Paul tells us, not only as pastors and gospel ministers, but by extension, how every Christian ought to view ourselves. Look at me or listen with me to verses 3 and 4. He says this, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware Of anything against myself but i am not thereby thereby acquitted it is the lord who judges me so there's that word judging coming out again right that's what he says in these two verses and in this discussion of judging he mentions here two courts right he says there in verse three that i should it's a small thing that i should be judged by you or by any inhuman court And so in this passage, or these two verses, he mentions at least two courts. Courts are where, you know, judges are. Courts are where judging happens. And the first court he mentions is the court of public opinion. He says in verse 3, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Paul is being judged by human opinion here. He's being tried in the court of public opinion at the Church of Corinth. And they would take his ministry part and they would be critical of how he looked and how he talked and what he said. And so there was judgmentalism here in this passage, the court of public opinion. But the second court that he mentions here with judging is going on is not in, in the area of public opinion, but it's also in the area of private conscience. See, Paul mentions it here. He says in verses three and four, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything myself, but I am thereby not acquitted. And what he means there is this, that it's one thing to kind of like view yourself by what other people say, right, the court of public opinion. But it's also, for some of us, it's what we think about ourselves, and for some of us, maybe for whatever reason, the way you think about yourself is pretty hard, that you're pretty down on yourself, that what we call a low self-esteem, maybe you, for whatever reasons, uh, that's how you view yourself. You judge yourself. On the other hand, maybe you judge yourself a little bit too much in that overestimation kind of way, right? So on one hand, the way you think about yourself, you might underestimate yourself, but on the other hand, the way you think about yourself, you might overestimate yourself, and then you become egotistic, you become arrogant, right? You might be a person that says, like, Paul, I don't care what the public opinion thinks of me, but then you might say, because as long as I think of me this way, I'm fine. And that there's some truth to this, but it could lead to either arrogance or it could lead to either a very low self-esteem. Paul says these are two courts that he doesn't really give way to, right? Here's a question for us today as we think about how we view ourselves. Wouldn't you like to be free from the fear of other people's opinion? There are many people, including even in our church, that just care too much about what other people think. Maybe you don't care about what everyone thinks, but maybe you care too much about people at work think, or maybe you care a little too much about what your friends think, or what you know your loved ones might think of you, and it affects you, and and you view yourself from those opinions. On the other hand, maybe some of you, you think too much about yourself in one way or another, regardless of what people think, and it could be negative, or it could be a little bit too uh, inaccurate right? And so wouldn't you like to be free from people's opinions? And wouldn't you like to be free from your own conscience that might judge you and yourself sometimes, from the tyranny of being blind to arrogance or even overconfidence? And so I want us to notice carefully how, how Paul deals with, with these two courts, these two views of, of how we view ourselves. On the one hand, he says, it's a very small thing to be judged by you. And on the other, on his other hand, he says, I don't even trust my judgments about myself, right? So he's basically he says this: I don't give too away to what people think about me, and I don't also trust what I think about me. Okay, that's what he's saying. Uh, and this is how not just pastors ought to view themselves, but all Christians ought to view themselves: that you are neither to be driven by the fear of people and what they think, nor are you to be enslaved by the demands of your own ego. Okay. That we're unconcerned about what people say about us, no matter who they are. And at the same time, not for a moment, are we to believe our own publicity either. That's what he's trying to say. And Paul's trying to say here in these two verses, I don't care if you judge me too much, and I don't even trust how I judge myself, right? He's free from these two things. Now you have to ask the question: How does he do that? How do you do that? How do you live like this, Paul? How do you do that? How does he do, How does he do this? And to be honest, it's it's not that easy all the time, is it? Don't we oftentimes find ourselves sort of in fear of what other people might think about us? Deeply wounded, very sensitive to the things, the opinions, and the, and the words that we hear about us. Aren't we oftentimes moved and swayed by by what we? worry about what others might say of us in public opinion or even in our own conscience, right? Don't, don't we worry or don't we, aren't we sort of under guilt or uh, enslaved to, to just our own opinions of ourselves, whether it's a high opinion or a low opinion, right? And so it's hard to do, but what Paul seems to do easily here in these verses basically is this, Paul has a thick skin, but he has a tender heart. He has thick skin, and tender heart that's what we need but oftentimes too often we have we have thin skins but we have a hard heart right a thin-skinned person is basically sensitive to every remark every word that penetrates him and her heart in there and it wounds them but if their hearts are hard we don't learn the lessons we we're not teachable right Uh, And that's what thin skin, but, but hard hearts do. And what Paul is, is this, he has thick skin, but tender hearts. And he models that for us here. He says, I have thick skin. It's a small thing to be judged by you. I, I, you know, it doesn't affect me as much. Okay. At the same time, he has a tender heart. He says, I'm not sure what I think about myself. I don't judge myself or, or see myself in any way. I don't trust my own verdict about myself. I don't listen to my own ego. And that means he's humble to be teachable okay he's teachable so that's how it is Uh, thick skin but tender hearts right not too worried about what people say and not too uh, trustworthy about what we say about ourselves okay so what does he do right what does he do and here's the third point Uh, there's a view from above okay he told us how churches ought to view their pastors He told us uh, not just ministers, but every Christian for that matter, how we ought to view ourselves. And now here in in our passage at the end of verse 5, he tells us what really matters most. There's not just two courts that he's talking about, but there's a third court. There's a third court in our passage. And let me just read to you what he says. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. He talked about the court of public opinion. I'm not too concerned about that. He talked about the court of your private conscience. He says, I don't really trust that either. And now he's talking about a third court, a view from above, a view from God. And that is where he con- he's concerned for. And he says to the people in church, in this church, don't judge before the time. And he's echoing these familiar words of Jesus, judge not lest ye be judged. And we said this before in, in another series, but these words then oftentimes they're taken to mean that we, we, we don't make moral judgments and we shouldn't judge one. And that's what we hear a lot even in our own culture. Don't judge, right? To call something right and something else wrong is judgmental and it's unloving. And that's what we oftentimes take it, but that can't be, can it? That can't be, especially today. Especially today, in our society today, where we're hearing judging going everywhere, where we're called to say this is wrong and this is right, right? That moral judgment, as well as wise discerning, that learning and listening involves a kind of judging, right? Um, And I hope we say this, let me just plug this one in here a little bit, as we think about this and, and, and decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what we should support and what we should be, uh, I guess, not supporting or be against, racism of any kind is absolutely wrong, all right, just to say that. I don't think I have to say that in our church, but just to say that as a church and as an individual. We're called to speak out with this, okay? We're called to say this is wrong. That's making a judgment. That's making a judgment, isn't it, right? To say that this is wrong. And we say that not just as individuals, but we also say that as a church. And I hope that all of us here, as we think about what's going on, I hope that we can, I can assume that all of us here as a church can stand with Black Lives Matter. That we can say that that injustice is wrong. That I might not be on the receiving end of it personally, but because God says it's wrong and he cares for those people who are experiencing terrible judgment, we could say that's wrong. We can make that statement as a church. That requires a judgment. That's a moral call that I think God says is good. OK, now, having said that, we also make individual judgments. But that that judgment is not just also right and wrong. It's also a discerning kind of judgment, right? For example, we need to speak out. But where, how do we do this? How do you do that? Maybe for some of us, you look for a protest. These days, the question is not should you protest? The question is, which one should you join? And it requires a sort of judging, doesn't it? A discerning. Should you do a local one, that, that you, a neighborhood that you live in, that might make more sense to you? Maybe you think you should move to a a protest in New York City, where there is seem to be more, I guess, um, attention or maybe more effect and more more progress there. I don't, I don't know for whatever reasons. Maybe you do both, but it's not a clear cut answer. That as we say these things are wrong, how it looks like. It may be different for other people. Other people might say, forget protests. Maybe you should sign a petition. Maybe that's more effective. Maybe you should wait to vote for the right leader. That's more effective. Maybe this issue is a little different for you because you have loved ones who are policemen and you care about them. And so maybe you have a different nuance that you're against this racism, that you're on the side of black lives. But how that looks like with regards to how you respond to authority might be different from another person. right? In any case, as a church, we we, we don't support that racism, we don't support violence, and we don't support any kind of destruction. But at the same time, we need to say something, and that is something that's left to the individual conscience, to deliver that message in various ways, in your various communities, according to your various consciences, okay? So, bottom line here is this. Paul is not saying here in our passage to pass judgment at all. He's not saying don't make moral judgments when he says don't judge until Jesus comes. Don't be discerning at all. That's not what he's saying. We're called to discern between right and wrong. We're called to discern between good and evil. And sometimes those things aren't always clear. And we're also called to discern how those things need to play out in our lives and what we can do. And sometimes that gets really fuzzy. But Paul here is rebuking this church not for judging this way, but for developing a standard of their own. Not necessarily a biblical standard as a church, but a standard based on their own personal tastes and the preferences preferences that they have, and then acting as judge, jury, and executioner over any and all who don't measure up to their personal standards. I think we're guilty of this as well. Think about this. Uh, God, I think, let's say God has a list. Here, here are 10 things I, I disapprove of. And we know those 10 things, and they're put in order from, from 1 to 10. But in our life and in our thinking, we kind of rearrange those 10 things, because for us, personally, some things are more important, some things are more offensive to us than others. Let me just give you a plain example. You know, in the next chapter of this passage or this book, Paul begins to talk about sexual immorality, It's a very sensitive issue, but it's it's an issue that he addresses. In fact, sexual immorality, which includes premarital sex, is something that is repeated throughout the scriptures, even in the New Testament. And what's clear here in the Bible is that God doesn't like it, and there are reasons for that. He disapproves of that. But here's the question for you today. Why is it that some of us and many of us are more upset, more vocal, get more angry, and more judgmental when someone is just being rude to us when someone may have just said something negative about us when someone may have even gossiped about us why are we more upset and more vocal about that issue than what god says here here's an issue of sexual morality that really i think is wrong and we're silent okay now i could easily translate this over to the race issue but i i won't do this for the sake of time but here here's what we're saying Paul, Jesus, Paul is saying this, don't pronounce judgments like this, your own personal judgments before the time. Why? Because he's talking about a third courtroom, a third view uh, that will be called into session, that God himself is the judge, and he will judge according to his perfect standards and his righteousness. And his judgments, no matter what judgments we make, will overturn ours all the time. In fact, on that day, Paul says that the things hidden in the darkness will be exposed and Christ will uncover the purposes of the heart. That's what he says. And that's ultimately why our judgmentalism can be so off because after all, we can't uncover the purposes of the heart. We can't read the heart, but Jesus can. And so Paul wants the church in Corinth and he wants us to be mindful, not of the court of public opinion, not even of the court of our own conscience, but to be mindful of the court of God, to be mindful of the verdict and the view from God himself. Think about this. How would your life look like if you lived in light, not of what people thought about you, right? Not even what your conscience tells of you sometimes, but how would your life look like if you lived based on what you believed God sees and says about you? How would that affect the way we live day to day, right? How would that affect our behavior among people in our church, in our communities, in our families? You see the concern that Paul has? He's concerned for the view of from above. And if you look with me at the end of verse 5, or you listen from with me at the end of verse 5, here's how Paul was free from the opinion of people and free from his own inaccurate assessment. He says this, he says, We will receive his commendation from God. We will receive his commendation from God. This is what Paul is interested in. Paul is looking for the commendation of his God. For Paul, he didn't care so much what people thought about him, he didn't trust even what he thought about himself. But for Paul, it was what God thought about him, it was his opinion that matters ultimately the most to him. And he is now living his life for his commendation. He was laboring and working to hear from his Father in heaven, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what he wanted to hear. He is seeking to live, not to please people, not to please himself, but he was looking to please his God that he says he worships and he loves. So he's not asking the question, I wonder what others will think about me. Neither is he asking, I wonder what I think about me. But he's asking, what does God think about me? Will my conduct today receive, well done, my good and faithful servant, from my Redeemer? That's what he wanted. That's what drove him. What is the path of self-forgetfulness? so that you're not enslaved by the opinions of others, but nor are you enslaved by your own ego. What is the path? And here it is for Paul. It's knowing that the only opinion that matters at the end of the day is his. It's asking the question, what is God saying? What is God viewing about what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my head, and what I'm doing with my hands? What will he say of his pastors and stewards who ought to have been faithful in the house of God? What will he say about his, the servants of his under who ought to have been pulling their oars to the beat of his drum? What will he say to me? What will he say to us as you're out there dealing with the issues there? And if you're not saying anything or, or being part of it or whatever it is that you are called to do, if you're not talking about it or thinking about it or learning about it, what will he say? Right? And that's what Paul driven by. That's how he was able to escape the opinion of people. And that's how he was even able to escape his own conscience. He cared about the view from above, right? Now, here's the good news. This is how God sees you. I want you to know this, and I want you to remember this, and I want you to pull this into your heart. The good news, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus okay this is what it means to be a christian that you have placed your faith in christ because you know you are not worthy you know you're not perfect you know you're not sinful that you don't deserve anything but you want his grace you trust in his righteousness you trust in his goodness so now the view from above by faith in christ means when god sees you because you trust in him he sees you like he sees his own son jesus christ okay like his own son, Jesus Christ. He loves you as his father in heaven. That's what he sees us. And that's why Paul says, so when he sees you, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation because of what Christ has done, that the fact that he died for our sins, raised for our righteousness, that our faith in him now, we are trusting in him that his now belongs to us. You are forgiven and you can never be condemned. So there is no condemnation. But here's the thing, that's how God sees you, but it also means you can, and therefore you ought to now live, not for the condemnation, but for the commendation, the commendation of Jesus who saved your life. Now, let me, let me try to illustrate it this way. Um, you know, my father was always tough on me and, and, uh, I think he always pressured me in one way or another to, to excel in school. And many of you know what I'm talking about because we grew up in that kind of culture. And, uh, you know, here here's the thing. Uh, what drove me in, in elementary, junior and high school was to be the top in the class or to achieve the most in, in class or in school to make my father proud, all right? And I know that he's my father, and I know that he loves me no matter what, and that's not going to change. I know that in my heart, but when I came home with good grades or when I came home with a good report or when I came home with an award to see his smile is what I lived for back then. It pleased me to please him, to hear from the words or his lips, the words, well done, my son. And I think Paul would say, that because you have the assurance of no condemnation through faith in Christ, Paul is saying this, you are called now to live for the smile of your Father in heaven. You are called now to please your Father in heaven, not because you are earning something from him, but because it now pleases you to please him, to hear from him, well done, my faithful son and daughter. And you might be surprised how rarely his commendations agree with the praises of men or with the praises of our own conscience. It can be very different. Friends, I hope and pray that how we live and what we live, as we are pulled this way and that way by the opinions of our culture and society and the different thinking and thoughts, I pray that we pursue God's commendation, that we live not by how others view of us, that we live, not by how even we view of us, uh, but how he views us. Not condemnation in Christ, but to pursue commendation in Christ. And so let that make a difference in your home, in your work, in your society, in your culture, in dealing with the COVID pandemic, as is very difficult, and also in dealing with the racial pandemic. Okay? I pray that that would be the case by faith in him. Let's pray.